You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Hey there, welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 298. That's right, on the show today, I am going to be chatting with the G, and before that, I have a quick catch-up with Michael Oakley, which seems to be a... uh a regular occurrence on this show as Michael Oakley pops by to give a quick update about something. This time it's to remind you all to check out his live stream performance, which happens in about a week. And so we talk about that and let you know where you got to go and all that stuff. But before we get to all that, let's listen to some music. I got a track here from 1984. Straight to the point. And it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, the Kings of the Pattersons, Chris Dan. Mike Shima, Robert D. Bishop, and Mystery Donor. And now uh, check this out. This is Burning with Desire from 
right, and that was 1984 with the track Burning with Desire. And I gotta say, your artist name being 1984 is probably going to be very difficult for SEO, that is Search Engine Optimization, which is actually something I end up talking to with the G about because he's called The G. And if I go to Bandcamp and type in The G, he doesn't come up (laughs) because... That's just a tricky name for uh, SEO. I think the trick is to make your band name a long sentence that's very specific. But what do I know, man? I'm not a scientist. Look, that song was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, Jose Arbello, the king of hell, with the 66.6, and Mike Erdahl with the 56.66. Now, look, how about this? Let's do birthdays, and then we will play a song and then chat with Michael Oakley, okay? So, uh, birthday time. All right, that was Modern Night with the birthday jingle. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed last week's family show. I've gotten so many uh, funny comments from all the spectrums. People love hearing Mike and I fight, but some people were like, ooh, I didn't like hearing you guys fight. But, you know, here's the truth. I wouldn't put something in the show if it was an actual serious fight. I mean, we were really arguing, but, you know, it wasn't like a friendship ender. It was a... But then again, if it was a friendship ender, that would be pretty amazing. (laughs) to like <laughs> that just shows you how 80s i am that when people think the 90s is better i will end my friendship with them but in all fairness i know having listened back to that episode while i still have the same opinion i didn't argue my point well i'll say that <laughs> i didn't really give any points i just kept on saying i'm right <laughs> but i still believe i am right by the way i just uh, didn't argue it well anyways happy birthday to franz varga on october the 2nd franz Varga. He's a cool guy. And let me tell you something that happened on October the 2nd. Well, in 1187, the Sultan Saladin captures Jerusalem from Crusaders. In 1492, King Henry VII of England invades France. In 1789, George Washington transmits the proposed constitutional amendments, the United States Bill of Rights, to the states for ratification. And in music, in 1995, British band Oasis released their second studio album what's the story morning glory and it sells a record 347,000 copies in the first week good for them and good for you Franz Varga I hope you have a lovely birthday keep on uh, doing art stuff because you're a cool artist and uh, I look forward to seeing the things you come up with especially those things wink wink I had a secret meeting with Franz Varga, just in case you wonder what that means. And how about a happy birthday to Chatterack? That's right, Chatterack is a cool guy. He's got a birthday coming up on October the 6th. Now, Chatterack likes the outdoors, if I recall. And he's always been an awesome patron of Beyond Synth. How about this? Let's see what happened on your birthday, Chatterack. October the 6th. Uh, oh, <laughs> there's some dark stuff on October the 6th. Okay, well, I won't be saying that one. Uh, let's see here. Uh, that's also bad. Wow, these are all bad, dude. <laughs> I don't want to say what they... Let's just say one of them involves Hitler. <laughs> 
1956, scientist Albert Sabin, Sabin announces that his oral polio vaccine is ready for testing. It would soon supplant Jonas Salk's vaccine in many parts of the world. Well, that's good, right? Good to eliminate polio. That's a nice one. Okay, literally... <laughs> On October 6th. Okay, so the first one is a war one from 1917. The next one is a Hitler one from 1939. The next one is an earthquake that killed 100,000 people. The next one... Well, that, one, that one's okay. It's about someone finding a, a fossil. The next one is about Joseph Stalin. <laughs> like... <laughs> you literally... It's all of them. You've got all of them. <laughs> I was just hoping maybe there'd be some, like, October 6th thing about, like, fucking Chairman Mao or something. Um... Let's see here. Ooh, in 1960, Spartacus, directed by Stanley Kubrick and starring Kirk Douglas and Laurence Olivier, premieres in New York City. Anyways, look, man, the bottom line is this. You know, great things don't have to happen on your birthday necessarily, because the greatest thing that happened was Chatterack was born and grew up to be a lovely man who supports the best synthwave chat show there is. Now let's listen to some music, all right? Got a cool one here from Max Parker from the album Outsider. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the Kroner Club. We got Emil and Hampus ML and Tim Carlton, the golden boner with the 50. And then Jacob Wick, my semi-sonic friend, here is Max Parker with Neo-Noir.
right, that was Neo Noir by Max Parker. And that was brought to you by a brand new Patreon supporter. That's right, welcoming River Avenue to the $5 Club. Now, do you like to say River Ave or River Avenue? Now that I say this out loud, have we been through this? <laughs> yeah, because you wrote in a letter, didn't you? I hope nobody is offended that I don't remember. I am literally frazzled all day. Like, there are just so many projects on the go, and I, this morning, I was like, fuck, I gotta clean this room because it's such a mess. I couldn't think straight because the room was so messy, and so I didn't get any work done because I'm just like, it's gotta go, I'm putting things on shelves. Anyway, the point is this, River Avenue, you're a cool guy, and thank you for supporting the show. I see that you joined the Patreon on the 30th of September, so I'm unsure if Patreon is gonna charge you and then literally charge you again tomorrow, (laughs) because that might happen and if it does i apologize but i i think maybe if you donate that close to the beginning of the next month that they won't do that but uh hey who knows man i don't know how it works i just work here in the meantime let's go chat with michael oakley all right well i'm here right now for a quick update from michael oakley himself michael oakley mr andy how are you i'm great I'm having a great day. Wonderful. So what's been going on with you? I'm just winding down. You know how it is. It's the summer days are getting shorter. You can start to feel that cold air breezing in in the morning and then in the evening. You know, it's no longer windows open till like seven at eight at night you know you're closing the windows about four five o'clock you get a little sort of nice half nice day so i'm just preparing for uh for winter time approaching is the thing in the fall called the solstice it's the summer solstice what happens in the is the winter solstice is there four solstices or just two i believe there's just two it's coming it's kind of weird because obviously this is like fall technically now isn't it yeah because the thing happens on the the 20th of september right yeah. The thing. But it's funny because, like, where, where I come from, we call it autumn, whereas over here, you guys call it fall. I mean, we, we do call it autumn as well. For me, the reason why I don't is because one of my friends from high school was called Autumn, and so I always felt weird calling the season Autumn as well, because I was using her name more often in sentences than I was talking about seasons. Yeah, I like fall. Fall's a nice word, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's a... It's, it's, it's it's a little more on the money, isn't it? Fall, you know, you associate autumn with leaves falling and everything kind of starts winding down. But the thing is, though, we're not winding down. We're winding towards Whoa. a very special live stream event. Is that correct? Nice segue. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's, it's going to be the super bumper action-packed Michael Oakley live stream event coming on October 9th. It's going to be New Retrowave's first ever live stream big show event. They're doing it through Bandcamp Live. And uh, yeah, I, I recorded a show in Toronto with my band, some special guests. The venue itself is fantastic. You know, put a lot of work in on the set design to make sure that background of the stage, it looks great, great lighting, visuals, the works. The kitchen sink's been flung into this. I filmed some videos when I was there, but I I didn't want to post any because I didn't want to spoil it. Well. Because I was like walking around that set and I'm like, I probably shouldn't post these things until after this thing uh, streams. Yeah. Well, it's been a lot of work put into it. I mean, this, this show has taken months to come together. I mean, I, I was talking to New Retrowave about this in January 
you know, this was like a, an event that we've taken a long time planning and putting a really good budget in to make this a top looking production event and I actually had been collecting a lot of props and things like that you know for the stage design I, I designed the set on the stage so it was funny because I had to hire this huge van this like cube truck when you're doing it you're like oh yeah that's cool and then on the day when you get the truck you're like shit I need to actually pack this fucking truck <laughs> full of a lot of old televisions a lot of old televisions uh, Roman pillars and you have to pack them carefully because it's like porcelain like marble so you don't want to break the things expensive yeah and it was like the whole day prior to the show was spent me lifting all this stuff and little mini cat claw palm tree plants and things like that as well you know just basically getting everything together what time did you guys get there so we got to the venue at around 10 30 a.m. and when I arrived Brad Canan was there and all of my band were there and the lighting tech and and the audio techs they were they were all there at the at the venue sort of getting everything together and uh, even my hair and makeup person Amy she was there like ready to go I was like oh hello <laughs> you know okay I'll you know just have to quickly get all of this stuff out as quickly as possible from the van and uh, get everything set up but yeah we get set up early and then we started recording once everything was ready to go I think about one o'clock a lot of work when I look back on it it's kind of surreal all this months of planning for one day of filming and then obviously you know you edit the show and you're cutting it all to get everything looking right on film but it's amazing just all of the amount of time it's taken to put all this work in to get it together and, and now I'm finally getting to see it three months later after yeah. <laughs> after the event was filmed you know well it was nice to see everybody because that was the first time I had seen people in a while all I remember is kind of the day was it just flew by mm. there's no time to stop and think or procrastinate you're literally oh I'm doing this now oh I'm going and getting changed oh okay I'm setting up here oh I need to have this I need to set this up okay now we're doing this song you're continually doing something and then you're like oh my god it's 8 o'clock at night it's like whoa and when I drove home um, I never got home till like half 10 11pm at night and then I had to unpack that whole van <laughs> I know that's like I know you were trying to give away some of the props before you left yeah I, I, yeah, I left some of the televisions <laughs> for people but when I went home I had to unload the van because if I, if I didn't unload the van and take it back that night and put the keys in the thing I would have been charged that next morning for another day of the van hire mm. uh, I'm not getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning to take this van back we'll just do it now <laughs> you know what I mean so I literally just had to drive it back and my wife she drove the car and then Obviously, I dropped it off and we drove back. So I was in bed by like 1am or something. It was it was a long day, a long, long day. And it, it was amazing that it was worth it. But, you know, you're just, you're aware that it's a tiring day. It's, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of things working in tandem that you need to have all congruently working together so that it all works, you know. And the band were great, you know, they, they were fantastic. You know, when you're the guy in charge of, of operations, you're a set builder, you're a driver, you're a wardrobe guy although you did say there was a lady doing hair and makeup so that's nice well that and myself and brad spent a good bit of time shortlisting visuals we even got a visual artist arkuma hayamoto the guy who did my left behind video he did visuals like for animation visuals for the background which you know you see them in the background in the show but we've also cut them in 
to the songs in in the video as well, just so that you can see them. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of things, but you know me, I like nothing but the best. I don't care what it takes or what it costs. I'll do whatever it takes to, to, to put the best thing I can put on. Well, look, how about this? Let's listen to a song, and then when we come back, yes. you tell people uh, where they got to go and and yes. uh, all that stuff. Absolutely. So here's one I dug from Overgrown. That's O V R G R W N from the album Momentary high uh it's brought to you by my awesome paypals these are the people who support beyond synth through paypal that's right there's upgrade jimpy the king of the paypals austin whetstone jimmy groon the rosconian brandon morin ross bruce digital dreams gustav velichek dan williams felix aborselman russell nyes timothy warwick and jersey thank you guys so much for supporting the show now listen to this this is overgrown with the riders
right, and that was The Riders by Overgrown. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's City Hunter, the coolest guy in town, Hugh Hefner in the 2666 Club, and Clint Dowling in the $25 Club. All right, and we're back with Michael Oakley. And he's got his, his awesome live stream show coming up in just a week from now, right? October 9th. What day is October 9th? October 9th is a Saturday. It's a Saturday event, and it's going to air at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So that would be our time. So Toronto, New York. Pacific time is Los Angeles, isn't it? Yeah. So that would be at 12 noon. And then for people in the United Kingdom, which is GMT, that would be 8 p.m. They're five hours ahead from us. So people in Europe that are the extra hour ahead from that, that would be 9pm. So the good thing is though, that is that say you, you bought a ticket, you don't have to watch it at the exact time that it airs. Um, you have up to 48 hours after. There's a replay available for 48 hours after the show to be able to see it. You know, if, if it's, you know, maybe not a convenient time for some people. You know, I understand some people maybe they might be going somewhere else that night. You know, might not be the best time to watch it. So maybe if people want to watch the show later on at night, you know, they can, they can watch it at that time. But it's only going to be from that day that this isn't an, an event that you know the actual show will be put up for free on likes of new retrowaves youtube channel this is like a one-off event there's going to be special merch that's exclusive to the event as well we're going to do a vhs uh, version of it and we're going to do a dvd version of it and a vinyl which is exclusive merchandise for ticket holders. While this thing is airing, or is there going to be like a live chat going or anything like that? Yeah, there's a chat room and I will be there. It's quite strange. I've said this to a few people. This is the only gig that I'm doing that people are coming to see that I'm going to see. It's like almost like an out-of-body experience where I'm actually getting to watch myself yeah. perform as part of a show. You know, it's like almost like my eulogy or something like that. <laughs> you're, you're, you know, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's me there. It's a little surreal. But yeah, I'll be in the chat and I'll be you know, looking forward to chatting and hanging out with everybody that's there, you know. Now, this is a, an aside. I know we talked about this on Messenger briefly, but I did end up watching that episode mm. of Miami Vice. Oh, nice. And I watched a few more. Mm -hmm. There was a week there where every time I was uh, putting my daughter to bed, I was popping on an episode of Miami Vice. Yeah. And uh, so I watched a few from season one, yeah. and I watched that episode from season two, the where the buses don't go or whatever it's called. Oh, great episode. I thought I was going to guess the plot, and I did not. Because the way that it was described to me by you, and like whenever I would read mm -hmm. about it, you know, where people don't want to spoil it, but they do mention that, you know, that guy was in a mental institute. Yeah. And so I was guessing the whole time, okay, this is a fucking wild goose chase. You know, he's he's talking about all this, like, gangster stuff, but it's all in his head, and at the end of the episode, it turns out it wasn't. Mm -hmm. But then... During the episode, they were actually thwarting real crimes. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, okay, so it's not in his head because stuff is going down. So then the twist at the end was like, okay, like it, it made sense and it was still like a surprise. And but then of course the last episode I watched was from season one where they go to 
they leave the city and they go to like the marsh area. Mm-hmm. What is the word? What do you, how do you describe people? I don't want to call them hillbillies because they don't live in a... Um, what would you call that area? That's like the Everglades type area. You know where they have like a big shootout and there's like an old grandpa with like one tooth and a sniper rifle and there's like this big gunfight at the end and it was sort of a ridiculous... Because they had to get that guy to testify but they kidnapped his kid. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> well, I'll tell you a little bit of trivia of that. That You know, that episode was actually written by the creator of 24 Joe Cerno so oh, yeah. <laughs> so you know he, he obviously he's written some pretty cool stuff of 24 so that was one of his earlier jobbing roles as a writer for shows but then the one before it was good um, uh, with Tubbs and he doesn't it's the one where he's like I'd hate machine guns the one with, the one with Bruce Willis <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a great episode as well that's a brilliant episode yeah <laughs> I was just super surprised because I had no idea that uh, Bruce Willis ever guest starred on that show so the second he showed up I'm like what the hell well that was Bruce Willis's first big break because Don Johnson is friends with Bruce Willis and Bruce Willis was a bartender in New York and Don Johnson knew him from going into this bar that he used to you know, chat to him at the bar with and uh, you know he mentioned to him you know I'm, I'm an actor and the funny thing was Don Johnson wasn't famous at that point Miami Vice was his big break so it was Don Johnson that got Bruce Willis the gig on Miami Vice and that, that led to, to bigger things what I find interesting about Miami Vice structurally is how the episodes go right to the end, mm-hmm. like right before the credits start rolling. Sometimes there isn't really much of a denouement on that show. Yeah. They're right at the end, and then all of a sudden, like, someone just runs out and shoots the bad guy, and then they're like, what the hell? And they just, like, cuts to credits, and you're like, yeah. oh, fuck, like, there isn't, like, <laughs> we're not winding this down, like, it's just, mm. it's over now. I watched several episodes in a row where that happened. Yeah. I'm wondering if some of these things become cliches of Miami Vice as I watch more episodes episode so so far in season one Tubbs has gone undercover using his Jamaican accent a few times <laughs> chill man yeah, like, so that happened a bunch there We're was running two or three stories where like they go to apprehend the bad guy but then someone who was wronged by the bad guy shows up at the last second and shoots one of them mm-hmm. at the last minute someone just shows up out of nowhere with a revolver and kills the people and Don Johnson can't stop them mm. although the guy didn't end up killing Dennis Farina in that one episode he killed like one of the henchmen but it was still like a similar sort of plot device well Dennis Farina makes a, a return in season four he comes back as the same character nice so you get to see the follow up in season four but I don't think you know to be honest I feel like you can watch season one two and three of Miami Vice and leave it at that yeah well we'll, we'll find out I, I'll, I'll check it out and I'll see because I know if it changes kind of weird tonally like mm-hmm. it might not be as fun because definitely now it is satisfying that uh <laughs> that 80s itch we all have but look how about this let's listen to one more track and then we can uh, we can wind down with you and you can tell everybody mm-hmm. where to get tickets and all this stuff for your show sure so let's listen to this one this is from Castro from the album Fall Into You brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 club we got Alex Ellickson Blake Peterson a star apart Honeybeard Eurobeat Intensifies and Jimmy the Hut and this is Castro with Chase
All right, and that was Chase by Castro from the album Fall Into You. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. We got Johnny Five, Kempson, Mr. Magoo, Samurai, Ken Giroux, Newmark, and Neverman. And we're back with Michael Oakley. Uh, we've been chatting. Uh, we were just chatting about Miami Vice, but you're here to tell people to go check out the Michael Oakley live show if you haven't bought uh, tickets for that, a live uh, streaming event. Where should, where should people go, man? How do they do it? So if you go to the new Retrowave Bandcamp and you click on live streams, it's the only event that's there. I'm the I'm the first event that New Retrowave is doing this with. So I'm really hoping that this will open the door to more events like this through New Retrowave because you know I feel like the, the future is doing really high production type live streams online for people. But yeah, you can get your ticket on the New Retrowave Bandcamp if you just click on the live streams uh, link. You'll you'll see it. The event's called One Night Only, a Michael Oakley live stream event, and everybody who purchases a ticket gets a free digital download of uh, Odyssey, my latest album. Package deals, that's what I call that. Package deals, you know. <laughs> Gotta look after the community. That's you know right. I mean? uh, are you excited for the rumored HD remasters of the original Grand Theft Auto trilogy of games? You heard about oh, this? Do you know, I haven't. I've actually been enjoying the remaster of Diablo 2 at this moment in time, but I didn't I didn't know that. When did they announce that? I think it's still in the unofficial phase. Right. Because a lot of the stories online I've read recently have just been people complaining that um, Rockstar was issuing like a cease and desist, like takedown orders for all the people who have been... Uh, modding? Yeah, modding. Mm, that's usually an indication. So if they do a remaster, I'm assuming they might implement some more modern like dual stick controls and that would be really cool to go back and play Vice City like where the guy actually controls like the way that I want him to yeah but I always loved the atmosphere of three and I do really want to play it again and I'm assuming they're not doing hard work because obviously I would love to play a remake of these games done in the Grand Theft Auto 5 engine mm -hmm. that would be the dream like have the same map and the same soundtrack but mm -hmm. it sounds more like we're still going to be running around with like blocky characters but it just might uh, have nicer textures on those uh blocks obviously now i've been playing this diablo 2 remaster that was a similar situation they removed all they put like cease and desists on all modders and all um, adulterated unauthorized like versions of the game that had been put online which they were happy to keep because it sort of kept the game kind of alive and different ways for players that had played it for a long time and wanted a fresh challenge but the moment they were about to announce this new like remaster they literally removed all traces of all these unofficial unauthorized games what's frustrating is some of the ideas that the modding community had and implemented were cool mm -hmm. for the grand theft auto i didn't play it but i know that they did a thing where they basically attached all three of the maps so like you could i don't know if you had to like take a plane like where you could like go from san andreas to vice city but it was like sort of all in game mm -hmm. i feel like whenever they do release like an hd remaster of the gta's like they're probably not going to put that kind of work into it but mm -hmm. it would be nice if they implemented something that made it slightly newer than just looks a bit better and plays with modern controls like because i've always wanted that the ability to have all three games kind of running simultaneously where you can like drive to the airport and all of a sudden you're playing as 
you know, the character from Grand Theft Auto 3, but you're in the Vice City city. Mm-hmm. And even though yeah, I get that they take place in different times, it doesn't make sense. I don't care. Like, I, I, I'm happy just going like, look, man, Vice City is just like an 80s city. So even, even though, like, you know, we're in the year 2000, everyone's still there, still dresses like the 80s, and everything still looks 80s just because that's the way Vice City is. Because mm. that would be cool to go back and forth and, and maybe have some online capabilities as well. But uh, usually companies like this, they it's like Nintendo. They know they'll sell a Zelda remaster at full price and put no work into it. And they'll still make all the money, so it's sort of like, why try when people will buy it anyways? Because I probably will buy a Grand Theft Auto remaster anyways. A hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> Even though there's probably mods online right now for free that would satisfy all of those urges, but, you know. Yeah, I would love to play 3 and Vice City again, certainly those two, uh, because... Like, 3 was the one that I got really hooked on. You know, when I remember when I first got it, I was obsessed with it. I mean, obviously when I get Vice City, you know, I was I was even more obsessed. But it was just amazing, the game mechanics. You know, you, you would start playing games within the game. You know, once you'd done the missions, you would just start running around with a bazooka and, like, see how many police you could try and get you know five star of the of the wanted level and like blowing stuff up and see how long you would last and then all the little submissions it was brilliant i missed that game i've got it for a ps2 but i would love a remaster would love that to be honest with you i've always really liked the atmosphere of three the best mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah weirdly the way that the city is kind of quiet like i have i have a lot more nostalgia strangely considering my love of 80 stuff i actually have more nostalgia for the soundtrack of the third game mm-hmm. there's like that weird like kind of psychedelic electro like reggae channel and like just this weird yeah. like for some reason those things are still in my head and they add to like the weird atmosphere of the city and how like there really wasn't many pedestrians but it for some reason that game just has a weird feel to it that i i have a nostalgia for mm-hmm. anyway look listen you gotta go you gotta go get your uh, your makeup done and get ready for the uh <laughs> For the live stream on October 9th, a new Retro Waves band camp. I do, I do. Yeah, I'm very excited, so I will see you there. Oh, what's your cat saying? My cat is saying, buy a ticket, yeah. or <laughs> you can go fuck yourself. See? Yeah, you tell them. You tell them. <laughs> All right, man. Well, look, you have an awesome day, and uh, everyone out there, go, uh, go to new Retro Waves band camp. And uh, grab a ticket so we can all watch the live stream together like a like a big <laughs> hashtag synth fam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Take care, dude. All right, sir. Thank you. I'll see you shortly. All right. All right, that was my chat with Michael Oakley. So how about this? Let's listen to another song. I got a cool one here from Young Empress, and it's brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. We got Restless Nights and Techno Ben and uh, Forged a Neon with the 2049. And this is Young Empress with Eyes Closed.
All right, that was Eyes Closed by Young Empress. Brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $20 Club. We got Joshua Winter and Chatterack. <laughs> Happy birthday, Chatterack. Then we got Waylon Kasky Geospatial COVID-1986. Again, another special shout out to uh, Ethan for helping uh, me with the forms and the Beyond Synth database behind the scenes, along with uh, Christian Quello, who's been helping with episode uh, descriptions and links and uh, stuff with the YouTube channel as well. So I'm happy that those guys are helping me out because it's really helpful. And of course, we got uh, Rachel Buchelman and Sarah Buchelman in the 1985 Club. So I think I'm going to try and boot up the Twitch again. A few of you have uh, tuned in. The last two Fridays, I did a Twitch stream. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it tomorrow because I feel like I'll be editing this very episode tomorrow. But who knows? Maybe I'll just stay up really late, edit it, and then have some fun on Twitch tomorrow. And uh, yeah, I've been getting some stuff organized. You know, I was going to sell a bunch of things, clean house a bit, and really try and organize my tech and make this table nice and streamlined. And I was going to sell my stream deck because I hadn't used it in two years, right? I mean, I haven't been able to stream. And no one was really buying it. And then I was like, ah, fuck it. So I just took it out of the box, found out that since the last time I used it, they've released like a bunch of plugins and stuff for it. And uh, so I turned it on. It's actually really useful. It's cool how you can like kind of control your computer with it as well. So like when I'm listening to music on iTunes, I've got my stream deck here where I can like stop the music and raise the volume and next and do all that stuff. So anyway, the point is, don't forget to check out Beyond Synth on Twitch. I'm going to try and uh, do some more streaming. That's just for silliness. It's not like a serious show. I was brainstorming my video game idea the other day, and uh, I think I'm going to do that for a while. Uh, My basic thesis is that if you let all of your creative ideas float around in your head, they can take up space, and I think it's uh, helpful and useful to finally write those ideas down and talk about them out loud and see how much you really know about these ideas you have and and stuff like that, so that's what I've been doing. And of course, there will be a new episode of Andy Spaceship coming out soon, so stay tuned for that. And uh, how about this? Let's listen to one more song, and then we will go chat with the G. So I got a cool one here from Runaway Droid. Kind of silly to play this one now that fall has arrived. Autumn is here. I'd like to say that this song is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. There's Gene Creamer, Private Eye, Mads Baron Christensen, Skywolf, Retro Serenade, and we will never forget the immortal Chrysalia Lane and a very appropriate song for fall. This is Summer Breeze by Runaway Droid.
All right, that was Runaway Droid with the track Summer Breeze. I uh, hope you enjoyed that. And now, enjoy this, my chat with the G. All right, well, I am here right now with the G, a.k.a. Now, how do you actually say your name? Gustav is close enough in English. If I was going to do it in like a really pedantic Swedish way, then it would be like Gustav. But, you know, I'm not actually expecting anybody to pronounce it that way. All right. Well, then I will say Gustav like that. Perfect. So look, the G, I guess that's because of the Gustav. Yeah. When, when I was younger, you know, my name is not the easiest to pronounce. So I had a lot of nicknames and G was one of them. So being not the most creative person in the world when it comes to names for musical projects, I just was like, all right, I'm just going to be the G. So is the G difficult for SEO? Yes, it is. Because, um, <laughs> like, point. I think even when I go into Bandcamp and literally search for the G, so many other things show up first. There's even someone out there named G the G. So, you know, that's <laughs> that's my name competition. But, yeah, it, it's terrible for SEO. That's something I, I didn't think of early on. And uh, I realized that a couple years into the project. I was like, okay, it's really hard to search for my artist name on Spotify. That could be a problem. So I thought about going for a different name, kind of doing a pivot. And then in the end, just decided, well, you know what? People already know me as the G. Um, I have enough of a following that it would be kind of a pain in the ass to start over. So just decided to stick with it. I guess you can't, you don't want to change it now to the Gustav. Yeah. You know, I think that, uh, you know, obviously I don't keep my name secret or anything like that, but I like the idea of having a pseudonym. I don't know why it just, uh, seems fun. So just figured I'll stick with it until, uh, I get bored with this and make some other kind of music. What about the Gustav experience? That sounds like a psychedelic rock band. Yeah, you're right. All right, I'll think of something. <laughs> like, I'm an expert in, in SEO. I think I even remember what that stands for. Search Engine Optimization. Yeah. And uh, by the end of this, we'll we'll come up with a, a nickname that, that won't fail. Sounds good. I think the key is to have a whole bunch of words. You have to make your, your band name like a sentence. Something that's long and unique, but you can remember it. I think that's the ideal band name. So next project I launch is going to have a more SEO friendly name. Gustav Super Jump. <laughs> Maybe that'll work. All right. That saves me thinking about it for the rest of the show. It's settled. Uh, the new name is Gustav Super Jump or like Gustav Booster Boots or something. I think I'll go with Super Jump. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason, I have the, the Super Mario Brothers movie in my head. Great film. Yeah. They get to... Uh, super boots at the end <laughs> well because i just read this article that they restored like 20 minutes of footage or something and i watched this whole video of like how they like up the deleted scenes that were found on a vhs or something yeah i know a surprising number of people who are super pumped about this and post about it a lot so there's clearly a market yeah i don't know what that is we're living in a weird time now where since everything is a niche that all of a sudden things that we all just understood as a society like the supermarket Mario Brothers movie is a bad film, but all of a sudden now it's like whenever I like see it trending or like see people talking about it, they're talking about it like it's this misunderstood, like it's 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 such a moment in time this film and people didn't get it and all this stuff. I'm like, but it it's still bad though. It's definitely interesting how bold the choices they made were, but it's still like 
not good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that what it is is a lot of people remember the movie from when they were young. And when you're a kid, you have basically no standards. You'll watch anything. Mm. If it's Nintendo, you'll love it, whatever it is. Doesn't even matter what it is. You'll you'll watch it. You'll love it. And then later on, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that movie was awesome. I remember. I love that. And then, you know, you, you go back and you watch it again. And 50% of people are going to go back and they're going to have this nostalgic experience where they feel like they're, I don't know, however old they were when they saw it the first time, eight, 10, whatever it was. And the other half are going to be like, wow, that really sucked. Like, I don't know how I was able to, to stomach that for two hours when I was a kid. But even at the time, was it consider Like, I remember I liked it because... I was in grade five, so I would have been like 10 or 11, however old you are in grade five. And that was the age, like, just like you said, you just like things. You already know you're going to like it going in and then you just do. Yeah. Because I didn't have that moment until I was about 16, 17 when Mortal Kombat Annihilation came out. That was the movie that broke the spell. Mm -hmm. So that was the first movie I remember coming out of where I, I became cynical. And that was the movie that kickstarted it, where it was like, I loved Mortal Kombat so much. And I was like, as long as this just has like the characters in it, like it'll be a cool movie. And then like, yeah, it was just so bad that I just remember getting angry in the theater and walking out and like, wow, like even my love of this franchise didn't protect me. And then that was when I knew I was a man. Yes, I was about to say, that's when you stopped being a boy. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. A man. <laughs> I put aside childish <laughs> things. I'm going to work 40 hours a week from yeah. now on. <laughs> Well, that took a little while longer. <laughs> but yeah, so what's your deal then? Tell me about uh, Gustav. Yeah, so I'm I'm based in Los Angeles. I have been doing Synthwave since about 2015. Uh, discovered it a few years before that. What's funny is actually I was listening to a couple people like Kavinsky and, and College who, you know, now they're they're considered the pretty much the starting points of Synthwave, but I had no idea that there was any scene. I just knew them through the French house scene. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, Kavinsky, like the guy who works with Daft Punk. I love that stuff. For a long time, I was kind of trying to make music that had this sort of retro sound to it, using a lot of analog synthesizers and things like that. But it was really more rooted in dance music. It wasn't Synthwave because I didn't know Synthwave existed. And then when I when I discovered it, really through some Spotify playlists, kind of cyberpunk music playlists that had, you know, makeup and vanity set, Dan Terminus. You know, then I kind of went down the rabbit hole a bit, found Miami Nights 1984 and, and Highway Superstar and Mitch Murder and all that stuff. And it kind of just felt like this is the music that I've always wanted to make. I just didn't know that it existed and I didn't have a framework for thinking about it. And that's when it kind of just did the deep dive into the scene and kind of never looked back. Put my first record out, I guess it was in 2016. And it was pretty primitive. The songs were all like six, seven minutes long, which is kind of ridiculous for the scene. But, you know, that's how things are done in, <laughs> in house or techno. Right. So that was what I what thought. Oh, yeah, of course, you got to make these long songs so DJs can mix them. And then that's not at all what Synthways is like. And kind of, you know, learned the hard way and then did a reset, re-released all those songs. And then, uh, you know, did a full length album in 2017 on, on Time Slave Recordings. And then another one in 2018. And uh, just the end of... 2020 signed with uh, new retro wave and uh, got the new album that's out uh, this summer. Cool. Well, how about this? We'll we'll dive further into the story of Gustav, but first we're going to uh, listen to a track. So I actually want to go back in time because I do like sort of spanning the uh, history of the people I'm talking with. And this is a track from that EP Pacific Coast. 
I, I feel like I must have I heard this at the time because this is one of those songs that where, where it pops in I'm like oh I know that one because it's back from when my playlist was about 14 days shorter than it is now but I want to listen to uh, the track Zuma Beach oh nice yeah and then we'll uh, we'll keep talking so this is uh, Zuma Beach by the G
All right, and that was The G with Zuma Beach, and I am here with The G right now, Gustav, talking about the history of Gustav. Yeah, so um, that song was, I guess, one of the first ones I ever did um, for this project, and uh, that whole EP was basically inspired by driving up the Pacific Coast Highway, which I do a lot, just going you know up to Malibu from L.A., up to Santa Barbara because you're a cool guy. It's it's so beautiful and you know just it's very 80s as well. You know just can imagine yourself in like a teal Porsche going up there with the uh, permed hair and the popped collar and and uh, you know that's kind of where it started. <laughs> it all starts with a perm. Indeed, that's my catchphrase. So, <laughs> so you were making music before, like you were just making house and stuff, or like when did you first start making tunes? Yeah, I've been making music pretty much close to my whole life. I think I started when I was like 10 or something like that. I was in some bands in high school, like, you know, punk bands and things like that. And I also used to play jazz. And then um, I was DJing for a few years when I was living in Michigan doing uh, techno and house and uh, trying to produce, but, you know, nothing really ever got finished. And I've always been making music on some level. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I kind of was trying to do something that was retro 80s, but also electronic dance music and uh, didn't really have a frame of reference for it. So I've got all these weird works in progress from you know 10 years ago or more that you can kind of tell I'm, I'm looking for synthwave, but just don't haven't found it yet. And uh, really, when I when I found the scene, that's where I really felt like, okay, now I've got the focus and, and I know what I'm going to do and uh, I'm going to start releasing stuff. And it just kind of came together. So it sounds like you were hopping around uh, different genres and stuff. Like what what was going on in your head there? Like you're going from punk to jazz to all these things. Like what was your function in all of these bands? I've got very diverse music tastes. I'll listen to pretty much anything if I feel like it's good. So, you know, one day I might be listening to 70s yacht rock and the next day it's black metal. And the next day after that, it's very percussive techno. And and the next day after that, it's 80s pop. So, you know, I've always had a lot of interests musically. I played guitar. I still play guitar. And uh, did that in bands early on. And then, you know, once you switch to electronic music, it's all, you're doing everything yourself. I've always had a love for synthesizers. And, uh, you know, that's kind of been my main focus for a long time now musically. But, you know, with dance music, it was, I was DJing and then producing on the side. But DJing was like the main thing that I was into at that time. And and certainly was a, a better DJ than I was a producer at that point in my life. With Synthwave, since it doesn't really have a, a DJ culture, it was pretty easy. It's like, okay, you know, you make music. And then you can you perform, but the performances are more like a band. You have songs. There's most people have breaks between the songs. Some people don't like Protector 101, but a lot of people do. And it's just a different mentality. It's more of a, a pop music or rock mentality, even though it's electronic music. Um, that really just kind of fit where I'm at right now. Dance music, I think, in particular, is challenging to produce for because the song you're making is not the finished product. The finished product is when the DJ puts it into a set. So you're just really producing tools for the DJ and then the DJ creates the finished product. And I think something about that just never clicked with me. So I I like the kind of return to the source type of mentality with Synthwave where we're talking about full productions and the production is really the end in itself. What did you do when you said you were playing jazz? What were you doing? I was playing guitar in in small combos. 
doing lead guitar. What does that mean? Like, I feel like jazz is a weird one for me that I've never quite sort of understood. Is the whole nature that you just sort of jam, essentially, and, like, just follow the groove, or do you play, like, set songs? I mean, like, how does it work? Usually you do a mix of standards and originals. So the standards are the songs that everybody plays. And a lot of them are, you know, 40 years old, 50 years old, things like that. And then you also do your own compositions as well, but the compositions are very bare bones. Typically, it's just a melody and some chords. And then the band plays it however they want. So typically the bassist and the drummer create the groove and you do that when you're practicing. And then the other instrumentalists, in our case, you know, piano and guitar, will start to play the melody and do other things around that and then everyone has a chance to solo. So it's this very unstructured approach to music. It's a lot of fun to play. It can get pretty tedious to listen to, I find, if you listen to a lot of it. But it is a lot of fun to play. It's fun to play because you're just getting up there and you're basically just seeing where things go right like i'm not i won't throw any form of art under the bus because i know there's someone out there who enjoys it and maybe i just haven't experienced you know like the the best of jazz or whatever but like i've never really been too keen on like noodling yeah it's very noodly and again it can happen in electronic music as well right there's just sometimes when i hear an artist and like not that I require, like, songs to follow very specific rules, because I'm obviously, like, against that, because that's annoying, like, to, to box artists in. But there is also this thing where I can tell, like, did the artists even plan anything here? Like, it just sounds like they're just making shit up as they go. And, like, yeah. for some reason, I just don't gel with that. Like, once it, it feels like there isn't a plan and the person's just making stuff up, for some reason, like, I'm I'm out at that point. Yeah. Regardless of genre, I, I, I always associate that with jazz. But, like, it happens in electronic music as well. Sometimes, like, someone will just do, like, some wild solo, and I'll be like, what is this? Like, this is unstructured nonsense, you know, and then I feel like an old man. Yeah, I, I, I get that. So good jazz is restrained. It's virtuosic, but it's restrained. And bad jazz is just people noodling. And I was, pro- you know, to be truthful, I was probably playing bad jazz because <laughs> um, I was younger at that time and, you know, not that good. So just get up there and play as fast as I can and try to do some phrasing and stuff like that it it is fun to play in that kind of environment but for me to listen to jazz it has to be really exceptional right well i mean i get that vibe like i understand the magic of being in the zone and i and i know that other people can join that energy right so like if you're i mean if it's fun to play that's cool thing too and maybe it's just a fun thing to be like hey get together with a bunch of people and like just groove and all of a sudden like oh shit like four hours just went by and maybe there's some people who are in the vicinity of that energy who just fucking lock into the groove and whatever like i appreciate that that is a thing it's just never been my thing so you don't want me to bust out the guitar and play like a 30 minute solo right now (laughs) i mean it would be a first for this show if you you want to make this a very special episode let's let's not (laughs) yeah we don't we don't have very special episodes too often until i like give a lecture on like not doing drugs or don't drink and drive it'd be nice to have a very special episode because there's a fucking <laughs> half hour like bass guitars yeah, yes. meandering solo even better 30 minute bass solo oh, yeah. <laughs> and then a psa on how you shouldn't stick your tongue into the electrical socket <laughs> boom 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 <laughs> that's not jazz what the fuck did i just do there that's something else that's like cowboy music yeah there you go <laughs> i don't even know what jazz is <laughs> We've all learned something today. But this was all like uh, in your your younger days or have you 
were you always doing music stuff or was there like a period of time in your life where there was like, oh, there's that five years where I was working real hard to be a attorney and then I didn't play that much music or something? Yeah, there was a period of time when I wasn't doing much. And I think the problem was that I just wasn't that inspired. Um, I was in graduate school. To be an attorney? Going on. N- not to be an attorney. Oh, shit. Sorry. Sometimes I just like to say random things. If I'm right, then I'm like, hey, look how fucking insightful I am. But then... uh, Yeah, no, it was not that case. But I was basically, yeah, it was just, for whatever reason, just had no real inspiration. So I wasn't doing that much of it. But other than that, pretty much all my life, you know, has has, to a large degree focused around music. You know, and and I've always been an obsessive about it. I'm an obsessive listener also. I I don't even know how many Spotify playlists I have. It's, It's in the hundreds. And prior to that, I had was collecting a massive number of records and CDs and all that stuff. So just always been really focused on music and and I've always loved playing and I've always loved composing. I think probably I like composing music more than anything. You know, nowadays that's pretty much what I do. Just sit down with the the synths and, and, you know, some guitar if it calls for it and see what happens. Yeah. Well, how about this? Let's see what happens right now by listening to uh, a track from your album Cosmopolis, which was uh, from 2017. And uh, and this was one I dug. This was a collaboration you did with uh, Vandal Moon, who's a, a cool guy who I think you... He's singing on some of your tracks in the, the new album, right? Yeah, he is. So he's one of my closest friends in the scene and someone who... And I just love his music as well. And I think that's how it really started was uh, we had a couple friends in common... And uh, I just kind of messaged him one day. and was like, I love your album. You should sing on my album. And, uh, you know, he was just like, yeah, sounds good. And, uh, you know, he's someone I've actually gotten a chance to hang out with in, in real life, which was great. And pretty much anything that he puts out is an auto buy for me. So can't say enough good things about his own stuff. And, you know, he really it killed it on the two songs we've done together. Well, let's uh, let's listen to this one, man. This one's called Stars That Fade by The G featuring Vandal Moon.
Alright, and that was the G with the with I was gonna say the stars that fade. With stars that fade featuring Vandal Moon, and I am here right now with the G, Gustav, talking about sweet, sweet jazz. <laughs> this is a jazz podcast now. Yeah. So you were saying though you were you've sort of been like obsessively sort of listening to music and collecting stuff. So do you have like a do you have a big record collection? Yeah, I do. Um a lot of it is electronic music. I have a big collection of rare house and techno records from the 80s and 90s, some of which are probably worth a lot of money at this point. And then also a collection of, of rock albums, um, including some original pressings from the 60s as well. And uh, it's the kind of thing where a lot of the records I, I don't dare take out and put on the record player because, you know, they're at that point now where every time you play them, they're going to get a little bit more warped, or a little bit more scratch and all that stuff. But uh you know, I haven't been buying as much vinyl later because mainly have a bit of a space issue. So, you know, haven't been kind of on that whole scene where, you know, there's, there's a pretty active vinyl collector scene in Synthwave and people kind of pretty much buy up everything. And I do support artists that I like. So I buy a lot of stuff on Bandcamp, but did cassettes for a while until my third cassette player broke. Um, and now I've just been kind of collecting digitally for a while, but I'll go back to cassettes and probably to vinyl. Um, at some point as well. Yeah, you know what you should do? Take those, uh, the the valuable vinyls you have, and you can do, there's a, there's a thing I saw on the Science Channel once when I was a kid where you take a, a toothpick and then you like kind of make a, uh, you take an X-Acto knife, make a little line in it, put a piece of paper in the toothpick, and then if you run that along the vinyl, you can actually hear the music come out of the paper because of the, the <laughs> vibrations. <laughs> Should definitely do that with the rare records. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I'm sure it can't hurt anything, <laughs> and it's it's fun because you can hear the music. I did try it once when I was a kid. I had this. Uh, <laughs> what the hell was it? It was this record. It was like the Doctor Who theme, but it was like a techno. Oh, yeah. Who the fuck did it? Oh, it's it's like a KLF. Yes, um, yes, yeah, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. They, they call it themselves something else, but it's KLF. Yeah, I think it's just called the Time Lords, and then yeah, the Time Lords. That's right. That record is like. Uh, eventually, like the the electronics and stuff are like stored in my childhood home in the attic, and it gets very very hot up there. And so I think, like last year, I went upstairs, and that vinyl is the one that's still in the the uh, <laughs> in the record player. But since it's so hot, like the whole thing is just oh, completely warped. Like the like wow. the the records just fucking curled, and I'm like, oh, guess we won't be listening to that ever again. Play that on the show. I don't even. Well, I, I don't even. The needle won't even be able to. Like it really curled. Like it curled to the point where I don't think the needle could even follow on it. Like it would. It would probably just get knocked out of place because like it looks like a curled up burrito or something. I wonder if the the record is permanently attached to the record player now. That's also a possibility. So we'll have to buy one of them. Uh, well, you can get like record players now that are like USB, where you can like hook them to your computer and yeah, digitize. Yeah, I got one of those. Yep, you can digitize everything. Yeah, I mean they're gr- they're great. There's there's one. I think the one I have is made by by Newmark, but it's it's a direct drive turntable. It's awesome. You ever digitize records? Yes. Yeah, I, I made it like maybe ten percent through my record collection, and then at some I was like, all right, I I can't be doing this four or five hours a day. What is the advantage to doing that than just like downloading stuff, or is it just because you didn't want to pay for it again? I don't know if there is that much of an advantage. I, I think. <laughs> The one thing I can think of is you do get that kind of vinyl feel to it. There's a little bit of vinyl scratchiness in the beginning, and you know it's from your vinyl, too. So it's kind of exciting when you listen to it. 
but it's a pain. And, you know, if there is a warping in there, then the timing is slightly off. So if you wanted to, for example, do digital DJing with Serato or something, it's not that functional because it's going to come off time a lot. And, you know, then you also have to go into Audacity or into a Logic or something and then, you know, edit the actual file so there isn't this dead air in the beginning and all this stuff. So not really a fun project. I thought it was going to be a lot more fun than it was. In the <laughs> end, I decided that there isn't really enough of an advantage versus just buying it again. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, like, I... I... <laughs> I say, what's the point of doing that? And then meanwhile, I've been digitizing my Blu-rays. Yeah. I could point that same question at myself and go, why do that? Yeah. Instead of just... Down- but I mean, it is nice to have the file, because I feel like now, even if you buy stuff digitally, it's like you bought it through your iTunes account or your PlayStation account or whatever, and then when the internet goes down, you can't access your stuff. So, I mean, like there is, yeah. I suppose, a value in having the physical copy, but then if you have the record, you do have the physical copy. Yeah, there's a couple other things I can think of as well. So one of them is, you know, with records or even with movies, you know, the the film might not be available digitally, or if it is, it might be a different edition. You know, I'm about like the Star Wars films, for example. Yeah. If you have that original cut of Star Wars before George Lucas came in and started, you know, adding dumb shit to it, you know, that's definitely worth digitizing. And uh, the same is true with records. Some stuff is just not available anymore, especially if it's coming from a small label. And in that case, you know, you don't have an alternative. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. I know there was like, there was some old, uh, like uh, ABBA B-sides that uh, George Lucas came and just fucking changed. Yeah, he's put Jar Jar Binks' voice over them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was too bad. All of a sudden, I'm just listening to this disco, and then there's just these like laser beam sounds and just like Darth Vader's voice for no reason. <laughs> it's Mamma Mia, but uh, but with Darth Vader. I mean, you, you say that in jest, but I mean, I, I would listen to it. I love ABBA. Like, if it just if it sounded like a new ABBA song, except it just had like the Darth Vader breathing, but like a part of the beat yeah i mean hey you know abba that's my i'm swedish so that's my culture uh you go to sweden <laughs> yeah. and you 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 know if you want to get it troll people for a laugh you just go there and you just badmouth abba you just go abba you know, you know who fucking sucks abba <laughs> and people will get pissed they will get super angry at you and uh it's pretty funny because the thing is though like abba is awesome like it's it's fun to make fun of like with disco and stuff but man they've got some fucking great tunes yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I was just listening to some of their stuff the other day, and and it, it's kind of corny, and it's got that sort of stilted Eurovision kind of super whiteness to it, I guess, for lack of a better term. But uh, but it, those are great songs. You know, they're memorable, they're catchy, they're well produced. You, you know why they were a big sensation. And like uh, half of my guests are from Sweden. Yeah, like the <laughs> synthwave, right? <Yeah>. So <laughs> heavily. Swedish centered Sweden France uh, what are the a lot of Australians too yeah people like their fucking electronic music man yeah I'm glad that's the one nice thing about the internet despite all the fucking shitty things it is nice that it uh, brought us all together in this weird global synthwave nerdiness community it's pretty wild when you think about it the other day I was I was just thinking like oh the the people that I'm close to in the scene they're all over the place US UK Canada France, Australia, New Zealand. I got a lot of synthwave friends in New Zealand. Never been there, but if I ever go there, I got a ton of people to hang out with. You know, it, which is which is wild. Then you can go to Hobbiton. Yes, I be, I was in New Zealand when I was a kid, but if I ever go back, like that's my only goal is like I want to go to fucking <laughs> Hobbiton. Like I can't wait to go there. It looks so cool from everything I've seen. Hobbiton or New Zealand? 
New Zealand. <laughs> Look, let's listen to another track. I want to move forward here to your album uh, Concrete Island. Sounds good. Which you did uh, the next year. And it's sort of like a more of a soundtracky kind of album. Uh, but there's uh, so lots of cool tracks on here. I want to listen to a track called Monument, which is uh, a cool one. And uh, it's by The G.
Alright, and that was The G with the track Monument. And I'm here right now with The G, Gustav, talking about Hobbiton. Yes, first, <laughs> first we hit jazz, now we're hitting Hobbiton. Yeah. <laughs> I like just paraphrasing, like, we were just talking about the thing I was interested in. <laughs> so, in these, these past years then, now that you've been, uh, you know, making consistently sort of like synthwave type albums i mean do you still do other stuff on the side or is this like the primary focus yeah i've also got a shoegaze band um which is in a earlier stage of development but that's something that i'm working on as well that's my other musical passion would be you know music like my bloody valentine or slow dive things like that very atmospheric guitar music where all the guitars kind of blend together into a wall of sound why is that music called shoegaze? My understanding is because the original bands, like My Bloody Valentine and Ride... They all look down? Is that it? Yeah, they were just spent the whole time looking at their pedals. So for people in the audience, it, it, it looked to them like they were just staring at their shoes. So they're gazing at their shoes. And it, it's a originally a British scene, and the British music press is notoriously sarcastic. So it was a pejorative term in the beginning. Ah, but then they embraced it. They did, yes. But this is like a physical band? Like, you have people who live near you that you play with? Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm doing most of it. Um, not the vocals, though, but I'm doing most things. So the guitar and the bass and the synths and all that stuff. Oh, so like this is still like a studio project, or is it... Yeah, yeah for okay. now, but, you know, with any rock rock band you know you need to play out so eventually that it will be filled out as a band and that's actually how it often worked in that scene in the, the original scene in the 90s with my bloody valentine for example you know most of the studio productions are kevin shields the guitarist he's doing almost everything but then they had a full band that would tour and play and everything else so you want to follow in the footsteps of kevin shields yeah, yeah, but he also bankrupted the studio he was working for, so maybe not that far. Well, hopefully you can avoid those situations with your uh, <laughs> economics degree. Now I'm going to guess what you went to school for. It wasn't for to be an attorney. Close, close to economics. Okay, let me guess. Well, business then, right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep it mysterious, but it's close to economics. All right, all right, all right. Finances. <laughs> do you know how to do taxes properly? Y yeah. I mean, American taxes are an adventure, but uh, but yeah, I can do it. All right. Not the specialty, though. Well, what specialty tax? No, I mean, th that's not my specialty. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So I thought there's just a, <laughs> a whole new world of taxes I'd never heard about. Yeah. The point is, though, that this is like your job is not necessarily artistically satisfying. No, I mean, I, I, lo I love my job, my, my, my day job. Um, it's actually a lot of fun. Trampoline salesman. But, you know, it's not, it's not a creative field. Trampoline so, salesman. I figured yeah. it out. Yes, trampoline salesman and engineer. So yeah. I, I make them and then I sell them. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever says their job is fun unless they're a trampoline salesman. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's actually great and, and uh, no complaints there, but it's not an artistic endeavor. So, you know, there's always going to be that need to express myself through music and uh, you know, able to kind of do both. So best of both worlds. Well, that's cool. It's nice to have uh, one uh, foot in reality. That's what I call people who have real jobs. Yeah, and one foot in the 80s. Yeah, or this weird half-remembered version of the 80s. Yeah, fake 80s. Because, I mean, like, I grew up in the 80s, and I remember everything was all, like, brown and orange and wood-tiled things for uh, a good chunk of that time. There weren't too many neon lights and fucking uh, Don Johnsons in my house. No, I mean, a lot of 80s lived culture was really 70s culture handover so a lot of the you know interior design and like those wood paneled walls and the 
the TVs most people had in their houses and all the stuff that was on TV, right, that was being rerun. It was all stuff from the 70s. I remember I would watch all this Hanna-Barbera cartoons and Godzilla movies and things like that. None of that was from the 80s. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I It's hard, right? Because on one hand, it's cool that so many people have so much artistic output now, which is, all you know what I mean? Because there's so, obviously the synthwave scene is a thing that like wouldn't have existed back then and stuff. And so it, it is cool. But then there is something nice about thinking back to when there was just less stuff. Yeah. And so there was sort of more community. I, it's It's so hard because then that's a very sort of I guess western centric view of things where I'm just like wasn't it great when there was like less things and less people had a voice because we could all bond over like this stuff but then there's like a huge chunk of the population that can't relate to any of the stuff that's on yep. but at the same time there is something nice about there being less things because you, you, we, we have these sort of like communal histories and I think now we don't necessarily because there's just so much stuff right like you know, two people growing up at the same time now might have just these radically different experiences and they can be living in like the next house or going to the same school, but they just are just immersed in completely different ecosystems. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I see it as not better or worse, just different. Yeah. Now, of course, you have almost infinite choice. I really kind of embrace that and love it. You know, just the idea that I can listen to anything from anywhere. There's so much music to discover and you can find it pretty easily. Same with film or TV. We've got so many choices. You can really tailor things. And that's that's great. But on the other hand, there isn't that much shared culture left anymore. Sometimes you do get a cultural touchstone, I don't know, like Game of Thrones or something like that, that really does pierce the you know broader imag- cultural imagination. But I, I remember, like for example, when I was a kid, everybody hated Casper the Friendly Ghost. And Casper was on all the time, and that cartoon just fucking sucked. You know? <laughs> but it was kind of fun to hate it, right? Yeah, yeah, Everybody yeah. understood what that meant to hate that stupid cartoon. And, and there's nothing like that anymore. You know, kid doesn't like something, they just don't watch it, and nobody watches it. You know, everybody watches something else. You know, it's just not the same. And, and you don't have those situations where, you know, you get two kids from very different parts of the country, even parts of the world. And they're watching, you know, the same five, six things on TV and listening to the same 10 bands. That doesn't exist anymore. I guess it sort of exists with video games, but but outside that, it doesn't. It's interesting because, like, I, I agree with what you're saying. And sometimes I'll sit there and I'll really think about, like, I have these ideas, but I will still challenge them every now and again and go, like, is that... Because when you bring up Game of Thrones, it still proves that there are still things that do become these things that everyone watched or like everyone saw. You know, then the, the cast is on The Tonight Show or something and like everyone sort of knows about yeah. it. And right now it does seem like video games is a huge one because I mean, I'm sure like when, yeah. my, when my son grows up, he'll be able to go back and talk about Fortnite and like every single person in his age group is going to have some sort of like Fortnite memory. Yep. So th- yeah, there is there is things, but it's... I think also now it's just that those things have to be cool. Yeah. Whereas we might have a lot of shared memories, just like you say of Casper, of things that sucked because there wasn't anything else on. Right. Exactly. You know, you know the theme songs to all the the sitcoms you didn't even watch just because like that's the night that the sitcoms were on and there's three channels and so you all know it like everyone knows it and whereas now it's like. Everyone knows things, but they know it because it has to, like, they have to actually like it to know it. Exactly. And, you know, I was just recently, we got Disney Plus, 
and they've got all these old cartoons and I saw the the Gummy Bears cartoon. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this was on on Saturday. So like early 90s, I guess. Yeah. It's like, this was on Saturday morning cartoons and I used to watch it every week. I bet it sucks. And I watched it and it was, it was just even worse than I could imagine. It was unwatchable, so bad. And, and I just realized, I'm like, you know, I was, would just, didn't care, right? I would just, if it was on and I was home and I would watch it. And, uh, that's not the same anymore. The thing is, though, like the the 80s cartoons do have pretty amazing theme songs. They do. And Gummy, Gummy Bears is one of my favorites. Like, I love the theme song of Gummy Bears. I love... Because now it's like they're they're they don't really have theme songs anymore. Like that's a thing that's sort of gone away is like the theme tune. Yeah. And so like even like a lot of TV shows now and dramas, like there's no title sequence even. Like it just like it just shows like one word and you just hear like a sound effect and then it's over. And that's that's my favorite thing about Stranger Things is the damn titles. I like the title sequence oh, yeah. better than the show. When I saw the first episode of Stranger Things and I saw that title sequence, I felt like the the hairs on the back of my neck just raised up. It was I felt transported back to being a kid again. Yeah. I mean, that's what the whole show is trying to do, but it was perfect. It's my favorite part of the show. (laughs) Like I do like the show is fine, but to me, you know, Netflix gives you the option to skip title sequence. Like stranger things is one of those shows. Like I don't ever skip the title sequence. Like it's just, I just love that title sequence. And I think that's what propels me through a lot of the episodes is like I just love the title sequence so much. I mean the show is fine, like it's not a bad show, but it's I just keep thinking about season 2 when they when they killed off Sean Astin's character in like the stupidest way. I don't know why that still bugs me. Like it's just where we just walks out and like, dude, you're going to get attacked by those stupid like CGI dog things. And like it was so obvious it was going to happen and it was like, what is this? Like just really like cliché dumb character death. That's all. There's one or two things in every season like that just really dumb moments the the one in the last season where you know in the middle of a crisis there's a never-ending story duet and i was just like is this really what you'd be prioritizing in this situation probably not but you know the cheesiness is kind of true to the 80s you know the 80s always had stuff that made no sense in the movies and the tv shows you know the culture in general that was kind of what it was about so so i kind of accept it even though it's can be pretty dumb yeah it's tricky right because moments like that are those things where like it's there because of the nostalgia like stranger things is a tricky one because they do for the most part do it properly but then it it is like the nostalgia factor is still like this thing that's always there where it's just like oh and then we'll dress them up like ghostbusters or we'll do this and that you know that's very on the nose when i just think like when we would go out for halloween as kids like we never had the budget to make like cool costumes and stuff and so like when i watch tv shows that uh, and i think like freaks and geeks did this as well you know where it's like oh there's a there's a halloween episode and they all sort of have these like period appropriate costumes yeah that are like references to very contemporary things and i just think like in the 80s when we were kids like halloween you just like put a fucking bag on your head and cut holes out because it's like no one's yeah. no one's making elaborate costumes of the latest trendy movie it was like and then that was before the time where they sold really because nowadays you can buy really elaborate costumes obviously like like everything because of the things are so much cheaper to manufacture now so like yeah you can go buy like a ghostbuster proton pack that looks exactly like the movie and traps and stuff like that but back in the day if you had to make all those things you didn't yeah yeah I remember one year I had a, I wanted to be a knight 
So I, I literally had the the top of a one of those metal garbage cans covered in aluminum foil. And that was the shield. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> That's how people would roll back in those days. <laughs> um, well, look, I want to move forward here. You got a new album, which you talked about is uh, is out on new Retrowave. And uh, this is uh, good stuff. There's a lot of uh, collaborations on this one. So I thought it would be fun to dive into some of those. I feel like this album has more than usual. Yeah. And uh, I want to listen to the titular Wanderers track featuring Michelle B by the G.
All right, and that was The G with the track Wanderers featuring Michelle B. And I'm here right now with The G, Gustav, talking about 80s stuff. So this album has a lot of uh, collabs on here. So what's what's going down? Yeah, I actually started the album um, about four years ago. I was, I was still working on Concrete Island at the time, and I wasn't sure which album I was going to finish first, actually. I was working on them at the same time. And the first song I did was a collaboration with J.J. Mist, who's a really great vocalist in the synthwave scene. And, uh, you know, kind of got the basics of it down. And I really liked the direction it was going. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to make more of a pop-oriented album. But then at the same time, I had this strong kind of outrun idea in my head, which ended up being uh, Memories of Ice, which is with uh, Dimmy Kay, who's, you know, a great producer and also just an unbelievable guitarist. And those were the first two songs I did. And uh, really, they're quite different. So I wasn't sure that they were going to come together into a single release. But just kind of bit by bit, you know, one song would come after the other, building off of either of those kind of genesis points. And uh, I realized that, you know, for the more poppy tracks, I really wanted vocals on not on all of them, but on most of them. And, uh, you know, found a few other people that uh, I like to work with, who I really respect. And um, also, of course, you know, had another guest guitarist as well, which is uh, Vampire Stepdad, who's someone that I've worked with um, a lot at, you know, mastering his work and someone who's a close friend of mine in the scene as well. And so he also has a guest appearance as well. And uh, I'm just, you know, really happy with the way it came out and, and all the collaborations, I think, bring out the best in me by the interplay with, with what the guest musicians are adding. So I really feel like each and every person who appears on the album made me a better producer and musician through the interaction that we had. You know, I had about maybe six songs done pretty quickly. So by the end of 2016, I think I had about six songs. And then I had maybe 30 or 40 works in progress of varying quality. And I really wanted to make sure that this album was the best thing I could put out. I didn't want to put out something where there's a few good songs and then 60% filler. Just didn't want to do that. I wanted to make sure that it was, I mean, nothing's ever perfect, right? But I wanted to make sure that it was the best, most cohesive album I could, but also has range. One thing I've noticed in Synthwave is there's a lot of good albums, but typically you get like 10 songs where everything's got the same vibe. Everything is upbeat and high energy and, and dark, or everything is very slow and chill and, and relaxed or very dreamy or very poppy or something like that. And if you go back to the, the 80s and the 90s and you listen to the great albums of those days, what you hear is a lot of emotional range, and a lot of tonal range. And the thing that made this album so hard to complete was I wanted to balance the idea of having that kind of range with making it cohesive and doing both of those things at once is, is not easy. So there were a few tracks on the album where there was kind of a done version. And then a, a year later, I went in, took it apart and reassembled it. So one of the songs with Michelle B is called Away. The original song is almost completely different from the one that was recorded. The only thing that's the same are the vocals, but the chord progression, the sounds, the drums, everything was completely redone about a year after she recorded her vocals. So really just wanted to take my time, make sure I got everything right and hit those two points at once 
making sure that there's a lot of range and also making sure that it, it's very cohesive and it takes the listener on a journey. Yeah, well, that makes sense. I mean, that is true. When I do think back to some of my favorite albums and how, you know, there's like those little like segue things in between and sometimes songs will like fade out. I'm thinking of like Depeche Mode Violator, you know, it's like oh, yeah. a song will end and then all of a sudden there's just this like two minute thing that's just attached to the end of it. That's just this sort of weird meandering soundscape and stuff. Yeah, that, I mean, Violator, that that's one of my favorite albums as well. And, you know, another one from the same time period is Disintegration by The Cure. And you've got Fascination Street, which is kind of really upbeat. Um, it's dark, but you know it's got a heavy bass line and driving drums, and then plain song, which is almost ambient. You know, and there's there's all kind of stuff on there, and that was typical. Almost any classic album you can imagine from the '80s or the '90s, which you know I, my formative years, has some songs that are higher energy and some songs that are more laid back or ballads or or, or anything like that. Yeah. So then this was all. This was very calculated from Gustav, right? You're just like, did you have like a spreadsheet and go like, this song is too emotional or this song has to has to be this certain mood and I'm going to make a track number five so that it sits between these two more energetic tracks? I never got that calculated about it. I mean, I'm not really a planner by nature. I'm kind of someone who sort of just does stuff and sees what happens. But, you know, a lot of it was taking the songs that I had and seeing how they fit together. So, you know, imagine playing with Legos and you're just taking them apart and putting them back together again. So I think I had 15 different versions of the the track flow on the album, just wanted to try everything. And uh, in the end, kind of hit a sequence that I felt had the right journey. So, so things aren't too abrupt. They flow from one song to another, but they're, the album will kind of have its ener- energy high peaks and have the times when things get a little bit quieter and a little bit more... Uh, mellow or, or pensive or thoughtful and so forth. But, you know, I think in the end, a lot of it is about also about how you produce. So another thing I tried to do was to use a limited number of sounds. You know, with electronic music, you could just, every single song could have 10 sounds that are completely unique. Nothing, there's nothing that carries over from one song to the other. But I tried to use, you know, limit to maybe four or five bass sounds across the whole album, two or three guitar tones, you know, a few synth sounds, things like that, like keep the drums. It, it, I think I had two different drum sets that I set up um, and used. So kind of to use that kind of to recreate how a band would sound and, and create keep cohesion that way, too. Well, look, let's listen to another track from it, man. Uh, you mentioned it uh, earlier, a collab you did with Vampire Stepdad called Out There. And uh, and let's check this one out, man. This is Out There by the G featuring Vampire Stepdad.
right, and that was The G with the track Out There featuring Vampire Stepdad. And I'm here right now with The G, Gustav. Now, again, when we were talking about this new album and how you're sort of approaching it and trying to make sure it has all these different vibes and stuff like that, but then how did that work with... I mean, you mentioned before changing the song around around Michelle's vocals so like she wasn't necessarily involved in that but like did you have direction for some of the other people or was it just sort of like seeing what they came back with and then so maybe like manipulating or changing things like after the the collaborative part yeah so it's a little bit different working with vocalists than working with a, a guest guitarist for example so with um, Memories of Ice or Out There, you know, which have a guest guitarist, the songs were mostly done when I sent them out for the, the, the guitarist to, you know, add their part to the song. And then, of course, some tweaks afterwards, but, but really I was sending them a mostly finished product with room for them to add what they wanted to add. With vocalists, on the other hand, you can't send a song with too much stuff in it because then it takes up all the space and doesn't leave enough space for the vocals. So ideally what you want to do is send them a, a song with an arrangement, has bass and drums, and some other supporting instrumentation in there, some synths or, or guitar, whatever it is that you're looking to do. And then you hear what they do, and then you add and subtract based on that. Because really with a vocal track, the vocals need to be front and center. So with Michelle or with, uh, with Vandal Moon, I sent them something that was more skeletal. And then when I got their vocals back, then I started adding things in and in some cases taking things out. What happened with Away was originally was kind of an upbeat type song similar to Wanderers or Lights. And I liked it, but I didn't love it. And her vocals I loved, but something about the rest of the song just kind of felt like Wanderers, but not quite as good. And then I suddenly had this idea, you know, what if I slowed this down to halftime and then added a lot of atmospherics, including guitar, you know, heavily affected guitar, similar to what's on a couple other songs on the album, like Spiral and, and also Out There as well, and see what happens. And I did that and I listened to it back and I was just like, holy shit, this is a hundred times better than the original version. So, you know, just kind of got to work and essentially it became a completely different song and her vocals are the same as the original but they work better because everything around them is better. Man, you should have pitched down her voice. Put the song in halftime and then pitched her voice down so it's all like, <laughs> ooh, like super low. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Like just take the original song and take a 45 and play it at 33. Yeah, I've got a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> so next time you go to make some music, you just uh, <laughs> just give me a call. I'll help out. If I ever do a B-Sides release, uh, we'll, we'll do that. Everything in halftime. Yeah, no, that'd be wicked. How did you get in uh, on New Retrowave anyways? Like, had you, had you already been chatting to 10 or like what was going on there? Yeah, I've had a few songs on there over the years. And uh, one of them in particular, a song called Shadows in the Neon Rain from Cosmopolis, really blew up on their channel. And then I had an earlier version of Lights, which is on the album. But the version that I self-released earlier was quite different from the one that's on the album. That's also on their YouTube channel and has also done quite well. So, you know, I've known him for a few years and uh, we just started chatting about stuff and he asked me to send him the album. I did and and uh, he liked it and we just kind of took it from there. That's cool. So it was like a nice, easy experience. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's, you know, he's awesome and the label's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of when I got into Synthwave, like a lot of people, one of the first things I discovered was, you know, the NRW YouTube page. And I just kind of went there and watched every single video I could find. And I remember in particular that one Miami Nights 1984 video 
with the you know with the cartoon with the the, the supercars and stuff and i was just you know I, I watched this and i was like i could watch this forever so for me you know nrw has always been really central to my experience of synthwave and so being able to be on the labels just you know blows my mind it's it's like everything coming full circle well that's cool i like to see people fulfill their dreams of being an accountant <laughs> slash lawyer yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, attorney. Never mind, attorney accountant. Yes, sorry, I don't. I don't even remember my own jokes. I'm in another world right now. <laughs> Before we started recording, I ate way too many tacos, and I'm in like uh, some sort of uh, taco fever dream. They have good tacos up there in, in Toronto. I bet, I bet you have pretty good anything. Would be my guess. It's such a big diversity. Yeah, I guess. I just made them from the box. So <laughs> I bought a, a kit. You know, you can get like a taco kit. Oh yeah, that, that comes with. Uh, a few flat shells and a few hard shells and some uh, some taco stuff and you fry up some ground beef and put in the powder. <laughs> Talk about nostalgia for childhood. That was my jam back when I was a kid. I, that was all taco night was my absolute favorite night. Yeah, it was literally my jam. We just used that on sandwiches. <laughs> that's wordplay for you. <laughs> that's what, that's what you get. So, so then what do you do when you're not making music? It sounds like uh, music and collecting music and listening to music is like your, uh, your whole deal, man. Do you have uh, hobbies? Yeah, music's the main one, but, you know, I, I'm in L.A., so I like to be outside as much as possible. So whenever possible, go to the beach, go hiking, all that kind of stuff. Try to enjoy the nice weather. I love to travel. Um, I'm from an international family and, uh, you know, have relatives all over the place and uh, obviously haven't been doing much of that for the last year or so but typically that's what i try to do is save up and take a trip somewhere and uh you know either a road trip or get on a plane and go somewhere and uh you know yeah i, I also re I, I read a lot as well so nerd yes big nerd <laughs> and it's extra nerdy stuff like science fiction and, and all that do you have any book recommendations uh yeah i mean there, there's a new series relatively new it's been the last few years it's called the Murderbot diaries and uh, the, the author's name is Martha Wells. So they're all short novels, really easy to digest, but it's all from the perspective of a security robot who's basically broken his programming. And it's super interesting, he's super violent, and it's really good. Um, they're really fun and, uh, you know, quick read and, and uh, can't recommend them more. The Murder Bot Diaries? Yeah, there's I think there's four books out now, four or five. About the same robot? Yeah, they're all from the robot's perspective. They're, they're kind of, in some ways, they're kind of like, they have the same tone as, as detect, like hard-boiled detective fiction, but it's this future scenario and, and, the, and the, uh, the protagonist is an AI, basically. So that's what makes them really interesting and, and they're they're great you can just plow through them super quick and but they're they're really well written and, and fun and, and good does he solve crimes uh yes but it's it's not like a pedantic kind of detective story but yes it, it's all based upon there's something goes wrong and he has to fix it basically so think of it like it's kind of like reading novels about the terminator that take place you know, after Terminator 2, and he's just kind of out and about, you know, doing shit. Apparently, according to the latest film, after Terminator 2, about six months later, another Terminator showed up and just shot John Connor when he was just, like, <laughs> sitting with his mom on the beach. Wow, retconning everything. Yeah, that's uh, good stuff. To be honest with you, I still haven't even watched that movie. I've seen the intro, and I'm like, nah, no. <laughs> Sorry. None of the sequels to Terminator besides Terminator 2 are good, so it really isn't anything new. I know people like to get all worked up every time, like, new 
sequels come out and be like, oh, like Hollywood's like fucking got this agenda or whatever. I'm like, dude, th- there's never been good sequels to this franchise. Like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, it's nothing yeah. new, man. It goes on the pile of like the five other shitty sequels. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Terminator 2 was good, but that's pretty much it. The original, I, I still love. And I mean, the title sequence to the original, that's, I feel like that's the most synth wave thing I've ever seen. Oh, I love, yeah. Terminator's amazing. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I love that title sequence. I see. That's the thing. I just miss, I miss that from movies. I love title sequences because now I just end up watching a lot of, you know, Marvel movies and superheroes and stuff. And, and they don't, they, they put their title sequences at the end of the film and, uh, I, I want them at the start. Yeah. That's what gets you hyped up for a movie, man. Mortal Kombat's like a silly film, but like it gets you hyped up right away with this fucking awesome techno song and just this fucking spinning Mortal Kombat symbol with like fire shooting through it. And you can you can really hype up an audience by just having like a cool title sequence. Yeah, it's true. And I think just in general, movies nowadays, they're really slickly produced and, you know, they're good, I think, in a craft level, but I almost never want to watch them a second time. There's a few exceptions. So Thor Ragnarok and the two Guardians movies, I could watch all those over and over and over again. But, you know, the rest of the Marvel movies, I I watch them once and then I just never want to see it again. If I ever watch like 70% of them again, it's going to be some sort of marathon situation because there is a bunch that I really like, but a lot of my favorites are still like the standalone ones. The first two Spider-Man films or like the Tim Burton Batman movies, you know, like they just sort of exist in their own little place and they're not really like connected to anything. And I I sort of miss that. I feel like almost when you have a movie that's part of like a 30 movie franchise, it diminishes it even if the movie is good because then you just know this is just one thing of a giant thing. And so it never quite has that feeling of like you finish the movie and it's over and even when the movie's good if you're watching like a marvel film then it still doesn't feel like it's over because halfway through the credits they just tease some other movie yeah no that's true i mean star wars is a good example of that you know when they started making the disney movies i mean i think the disney movies are better than the lucas prequels which are just some of the worst movies i think i've ever seen in my life they're they're bad on like a fundamental level but the disney movies to me are just boring they have the feel of Star Wars, but then they're just kind of empty vessels. And then you know they're just going to make more movies anyways. So who cares, you know, what the outcome is? Yeah, I agree that they're definitely, when I watch the prequels, they're just weird. But the one thing I will say about the prequels, because I watched them recently with my son, because we watched like the first two and we're watching like the Clone Wars cartoon now, slowly working our way through it. So we probably won't be done for like two years. But I will say that the prequels are unique. Yes. (laughs) Like when you watch them, I'm like... Okay, man, there isn't another movie that feels like this. I mean, it's a weird feeling. <laughs> it's like, a, what the fuck is wrong with everybody? Like, just the movies look weird. They, yeah, they, they, everyone acts weird. Uh, you know, like, it's just, they're just, there's something that's off about them. So, like, yeah, like the new ones flow with an energy that's like more contemporary and like fun, I suppose. Although I fundamentally like dislike what they did with them. Like even like the last Jedi, which I can't stand. I still like recognize like, Oh, it's still like structured like a film. Yeah. Like a proper movie. Like it's like, okay, like I get this and I understand why people would like it. Just, it's not, not my cup of tea, but, but any, I guess even the third one was sort of structured really weirdly. I mean like that, that, that last star Wars movie was like just a mess. Yeah, it was. I mean, 
I, I think, you know, for me, when I first saw The Force Awakens, I was like, all right, this is a real Star Wars movie. It's not like the prequels. They get it. It feels right. All this stuff. And then later on, I thought about it. I'm like, that was just a remake of Star Wars. Just much less interesting. Yes. That's all it is. And, and some stuff doesn't even make sense when you think about it. Oh, no, no. A lot doesn't make sense. And like, yeah, yeah, you're right. A lot doesn't make sense. Fundamentally, that doesn't make any sense. And then The Last Jedi, they try to take it in this kind of hard direction. For me, it didn't work. But then in Rise of Skywalker, they just try to sort of go back to The Force Awakens and pretend like The Last Jedi didn't happen. And that is even that's even worse than anything else they could have decided to do. Yeah, just a mess. All I could think of when I walked out of the third was just like, what is this? I mean, like, I just didn't, yeah. it didn't even feel like a movie. It just felt like a collection of scenes that were sort of linked. <laughs> it was just like, just this oddball fucking thing. But Yeah, it's a typical J.J. Abrams where, you know, there's there's no real substance to it, but it's, it's nice and shiny. Yeah. And the prequels, you know, by contrast, the prequels have some pretty interesting ideas, but just the execution is just so awful from start to finish that it's just embarrassing. Yeah, they're very bizarre. Almost like we were talking about before, how there's this sort of weird resurgence of people who, who like like the Super Mario Brothers film. I think that that was also a thing that sort of surprised me in the rise of sort of like internet culture and stuff where like there's people who just full on like the prequels. Like I never knew that was a thing. Like like everybody I ever yeah. engaged with up until, you know, the internet became like a big thing. It was just sort of like an understanding like, oh yeah, like these prequels aren't very good. And then all of a sudden now, and maybe it, it also comes from people who, you know, were disappointed by the Disney films where now there's sort of like a well, at least there's sort of like a nostalgic element to the prequels because at least it links back to their childhood or whatever. And so maybe it's just a generation of people who are like kids when they because I was still I was like in high school when the prequels yeah. uh, started coming out. So like, you know, I was still in my cynical phase, whereas I guess if I was a child when the prequels come out, then maybe I would have had some sort of nostalgia to them, which is possible. That's probably what it is. It's probably just there's people who they saw them when they were seven years old and it looked cool. And that was the first big movie they saw. And, and you know, they don't care that Jar Jar is absurd and kind of weirdly racist. And, you know, the, the, <laughs> well, that's the, the only thing. <laughs> that's the only thing I like about Jar Jar. That's my. <laughs> I mean, it's hell. Like who? Who? who greet? Who, I don't who know. Approve? <laughs> you know, and then the, the battle droids are just. If you're going to spend all this money making an army of robots, why would you make them so comically stupid? I. Uh, it, it will. <laughs> These are questions for another time. <laughs> we're never going to get satisfying answers. True. But look, we can probably uh, wind this down. How about this? Let's listen to another song and then we can wind down or wrap it up. As they say, I'm doing like the hand signal. So how about this one? Let's listen to the one you did with JJ Mist. Uh, you brought it up earlier and I think it's uh, it's a cool track. It's always nice to hear the lovely voice of JJ Mist. So uh, let's do it. This is uh, Can't Wait by The G featuring JJ Mist.
All right, and that was The G with the track Can't Wait featuring J.J. Mist. And I'm here with The G right now, Gustav, just sitting around talking about murder bots. Always up for talking about murder bots. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but we can probably sort of wind this down. Is there is there something we, we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? Nothing I can think of offhand. Just, uh, you know, again, thanks for having me on the show. We're really excited to... You know, talk about all this stuff, and you know, I've been a longtime listener, so it's really fun for me. And uh, excited for everybody to hear the the new album. And uh, next one won't be four years until that one's out as well. It's, I'm already three or four songs in, so. Um, hopefully that one will come out in about a year's time. Oh, cool, man! Well, that's what I like to hear. I like to hear people making cool music. That's it. <laughs> I wish I had a cool <laughs> sentiment to send you off on your way, but. Uh, I don't. <laughs> All right. We're done here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, it was uh, it was good chatting to you. And uh, people can go to New Retro Wave Bandcamp and pick up the album. It is called Wanderers. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, Wanderers. So uh, everybody go check that out by the G. And of course, you have uh, a few previous albums on uh, Time Slaves. Yep. Yeah. Time Slave Recordings. So on their available on their Bandcamp and all streaming platforms. Look at that. See, I'm doing all this from memory. <laughs> So yeah, we, uh, we we hit we hit all the the bases on this show. We we did jazz, we did accounting. Uh, what else? Star Wars. And I did actually. I mentioned Mortal Kombat briefly. I just uh, the only Mortal thing I didn't Kombat. talk about was Goldeneye. I'll just talk about it now. Great game. Uh, some guy remade uh, all the Goldeneye maps in the Far Cry Five level editor. So there you go. Oh wow! Now I've mentioned Goldeneye, so we can. <laughs> of course, that was like ten months ago. Because as we're recording our interview, that just happened. But of course, uh, this is airing like uh, ten months after that. So. Maybe I've played it by now. Now would I know what I'm doing for the next month or two? <laughs> Anyways, man, well, you have a lovely day, and it was uh, cool talking to you, and uh, keep on being a cool guy. Definitely. Thanks again. Appreciate it. It was really fun. All right, and that was my chat with the G. I hope you enjoyed that. Tune in next time to be on Synth, the best Synthwave chat show there is. We got episode 300 coming up. I wasn't going to do anything special for it, so it's literally just going to be an episode where I just kind of chat with, you know, some of the original guests who were on the first season. And already it's like, I was like, oh, I'm just going to talk to each person for, you know, like 15, 20 minutes, and I've so far recorded like five hours, and I'm like, oh, no, not this again. (laughs) So... (laughs) I'm probably going to maybe space out slightly next week's episode to give me time to edit episode 300. But then, of course, you're going to have some Andy Spaceship in there, and I'm going to try and Twitch stream once a week as well. So if you want to uh, spend some time with me there, you can. And I'm trying to get it going where people can uh, can call in and chat and do that kind of stuff. So that's what I'm going to do. I will not warn you in advance when I'm going to stream because I never know. But usually the best time where I stream is like, you know, around 1 p.m. Eastern standard time and I can usually stream for about two hours that's usually the time I will do it and I'm going to try and do that uh, once a week and that's my story so thanks for listening to the show tune in next time to Beyond Synth the best synthwave chat show there is and have a lovely week you are all cool thanks for listening
Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.